Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we've got a lot to cover, a lot of ground to cover, a lot of things going on in the news today and this week. Uh, I saw one story that came in that, to me, is is, is just absolutely shocking uh, that we've gotten so far, but... There's so many shocking things. We're kind of becoming numb to it. We see these riots going on, evidently in Portland and Eugene and Atlanta and Minneapolis, and and it's it's just kind of like insane what we see going on. That people are rioting and looting. We actually talked the other day with people in Minneapolis. Uh, you know, I met my wife in Minneapolis. I lived in Minneapolis. I was did. Private security work in Minneapolis. Uh, it was going to become a cop in Minneapolis, taking all the tests and passed, and uh, decided not to become a cop because the people didn't care. I had to arrest somebody, and I realized that people did not care. And I thought, if they don't care, I don't care. And I ended up moving out in the country and uh, raised my family out here because... There was a mindset that was prevalent in the American people that they did not, there was no hue and cry. There was a robbery, there was somebody attacked, there was blood on the ground, and I had to go and, and apprehend the culprits. And, uh, there was a chase, uh, I subdued them, uh, and suddenly I was surrounded by a mob. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't injure anybody. I didn't uh, kneel on anybody's throat and strangle them or anything like that. I didn't even pull my gun because I didn't want, uh, I was private security, didn't want to pull a gun because that escalated the situation and it wasn't called for. But I was bringing the person back. And everybody who should have been backing me and supporting me disappeared and all the lowlifes came out and ruled the streets. And uh, they, you know, people I had had run-ins with before were now taking advantage of the situation because all the so-called good people disappeared. And uh, I realized, like I said, if they don't care, I don't care. Well, I do care, but I am not going to protect or put my life on the line to protect people who don't care about other people but just care about themselves. How did we get to this state? We used to have, like I say, Hugh and Cry just had a conversation with somebody from uh, up in the Portland area a few minutes before the show, and they were saying, like, how do you know? How do people get this mindset? And I, and and this, I've been in conversation all week with somebody from Austria, and we'll get into some of that. How do people get to this point? Where there, there is no hue and cry, that their neighbor is in trouble, their neighbor is being accosted or robbed or whatever it is, or raped, and people shut their shades and they close their doors and they close their windows. I saw this 50 years ago when I was in charge of, uh, this is even before I 
went uh, to police work. Uh, I was a supervisor at a pizza parlor when I was 21 years old at Shakey's Pizza Parlor in California. And uh, uh, we we had a guy who worked there, and we had a few adventures with him where somebody tried to commit uh, fraud, and we were able to stop them and all this kind of stuff. That's a, a fascinating story. But he had a story, a personal story. He was go, also going to college. He was a temporary worker for us. And he was going to college at San Fernando Valley State. And he was walking, uh, I don't know, he was probably walking to his apartment at the time. And he saw out there, it was still daylight. It was in the evening, but it was still daylight. And he saw a guy dragging a girl out of an apartment across the sidewalk. And she's yelling and screaming, clearly trying to get away from him. He's holding on to her. He's bigger and stronger than her. And he's just literally moving towards a car with an open car door. And he's going to drag this girl into the car in broad daylight. He's looking on the streets and he sees people standing around watching this happen. He's just walking down the sidewalk in that direction. So you get the kind of picture. Now the apartments around are all two-story apartments. This is in the Northridge Reseda area. And he can see people in the apartment buildings looking out the window. Because this woman is screaming, the high-pitched scream at the top of her lungs, trying to get away from this guy. And he sees the people as he's walking towards this. And nobody is doing anything. And the guy who's dragging the girl out does not see him either. But he's already in motion towards them and he's going towards them. He's actually looking around on the streets for cameras. To see, not not phones. We didn't have phone cameras in those days. We didn't even have video cameras in, in those days. This is over 50 years ago. Uh, or almost 50. Yeah, it would be about 50 years ago. Exactly. And uh, he he's looking for movie cameras. They're filming some kind of a TV show or something. And because you run into that once in a while in the valley. And he doesn't see any cameras. And he doesn't see anybody moving. And he doesn't see anybody doing anything. He doesn't see... He sees people looking out the windows in the building where this girl lives. And they're just staring down at these, this escapade. And he cannot figure out... He cannot connect what is actually happening. And he comes up behind the guy. He's standing right behind the guy as he's pulling. The guy still has not seen him. He taps the guy on the shoulder to ask him what is going on. Because he's now right in the middle of the sidewalk. He's pulled him down the little walkway from the front door of the apartment. And he's now right by the car on the sidewalk next to the curb. And he taps the guy on the shoulder and he says, what are you doing? He still hasn't figured out that this is daylight kidnapping in broad daylight on the city streets in a good neighborhood in San Fernando Valley. And the guy turns around and is absolutely shocked that somebody is actually doing something. And the guy lets out a high-pitched scream himself. Let's go with the girl and jumps into the car and was running already and speeds away. The girl is now collapsed on the sidewalk. She can't even stand. She is so traumatized. She has her hands wrapped around my friend's legs. 
and is hugging him and crying. And he's bending over and he's trying to figure out still what is going on. And well, it ends up that this girl has never seen this guy before. He was literally just kidnapping her right off the streets with no good intentions, probably going to end up dead. And nobody lifted a finger. Nobody did anything. Now, somebody opens up a window in the upstairs of the apartment where the girl lives, yells down to this guy. Now, that guy up there has watched this all go on. He knows the guy standing there has not done anything to this girl. He saw the other guy dragging the girl out. The girl has now got her arms wrapped around his legs and holding on to him for dear life. Still traumatized, still weeping, can't speak. And the guy in the upstairs window has seen this whole thing take place, yells, what are you doing to that girl down there? It, it was, It's insane. Like, where were you when she was being dragged away to be kidnapped? Where were you when she was yelling and screaming, help me, help me? He didn't open his window then. He stood and watched the thing. Because my friend was looking around, you know, for the camera. Maybe it's upstairs in the window. <laughs> They're filming from the camcorder on the, on the ceiling or, you know, or whatever. This is bizarre. Well, you know, years before that, we heard about some girl being stabbed 23 times in New York and people watching and doing nothing. Later on, we hear about stories where people are being brutalized and raped in broad daylight by a team of people and other people are standing around videoing with their phones, doing nothing. Hue and cry has been long dead in America. Why? Why is hue and cry? Why do people not come to each other's aid? Why is it so rare? We had minister down in California. Somebody was dragging a girl to rape her in, in, in the bushes in the middle of Sacramento. And he and my son happened to be together and they're the only ones who did anything and the guy ran away because he was shocked that somebody actually was going to come to the defense of that girl. How have we come to such a state? Well, the reality is if bad things happen with this mentality, pervasive throughout America, throughout the world, through Austria, this idea is pervasive that it's not my job to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, and mercy and faith. I have I have put on blinders so I cannot even see evil as it is being done before me. I do not even recognize it as evil before me. How will those people weather such a storm as total economic or industrial breakdown in the world? They will eat each other. They will kill each other. They will destroy each other. It will be the attack of the zombies. Because they have already closed their mind to the truth. So in the little conversation I had before the show began, they were asking, how do we get to such a state? How do we establish such thinking in the world today? I just saw a headline just before I came on the air. Minnesota Attorney General uh, Keith Ellison told people riding in the streets 
over the death of uh, George Floyd to direct their frustration toward the Minneapolis Police Department rather than the National Guard. I actually have a nephew on the Minneapolis Police Department. He is not the guy who killed George Floyd. Most of the people on the Minneapolis Police Department are probably good cops. Uh, you know, as good as cops get. I mean, a cop is has a dangerous job. He is uh, got tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even in some cases millions of dollars of equipment to get him to the most dangerous spot in town as fast as as possible to make you safe. When everybody else is fleeing away from the scene, he is running towards the scene. We saw this in 911 where the police and the fire department were running into a burning building and many, many, many people lost their lives because they ran to save others, risking their own lives. That is a difficult job. It takes somebody, it's not a flower child job. It's a a guts and glory kind of job. It is a very dangerous job. It's a very difficult job. And it takes an aggressive person. And sometimes that aggression, if the person becomes hardened and resentful, will do things like what it appears happened with George Floyd. Because you don't really know. I mean, we have some videos that don't show the guy resisting. We don't have, as far as I've seen, I have not seen the video where the guys were, where Floyd, George Floyd was taken down. I don't know if he did something. And, and that's why you have investigations. And evidently the officer has been, uh, he was fired immediately, which is rare. Uh, but then he, he's been charged with a crime. But the idea of Keith Ellison saying to take your frustration out on the police department is like saying, let's go burn Jeffrey Dahmer's parents and cousin's house down. Now, this this kind of attitude and mentality we see in the Bible. We see it in Rome at the time of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not promoted in the Bible, but we see it. When, when uh, the apostles were in jail, and there was an earthquake and the door busted open and and the guard thought they had escaped. He was going to fall on his own sword. He was going to kill himself because he thought that his prisoners had escaped. Why was he doing that? People read this all the time in the Bible, but they don't understand the context of the Bible. They don't have the big picture. They don't understand. They don't even, most of the time, I asked the question way back, uh, 60 years ago when I was in the seminary. <laughs> but uh, nobody had an answer. But I asked the question. Well, I have an answer now because I went back and I studied history a little bit. The reason why was the law was if he's, his prisoners escaped, he and all his household would be put to death because it was clearly evident that it, there was a suspicion that he had taken a bribe to let them go. His his responsibility was to make sure the prisoners stayed there. They would not be able to take a bribe. And if he took a bribe to let them go, and he was not dead, his family would suffer the consequences. And that's that. That's crazy 
we can look at that now and say that's crazy. But that's what the Attorney General of Minneapolis, just of Minnesota, just said. Attack the other good policemen. Don't attack the National Guard. What the heck? Are you crazy? Are you insane? What are you thinking? Well, they're not thinking. They have already closed their minds. They already have blinders on. They don't understand how justice works. And I would not want to put my my life in the hands of the Attorney General of Minnesota because he is not attending to the weightier matters. The same kind of laws existed in Rome at that time, if you look at the slave laws, that if a master was killed in his sleep, and they didn't know who did it, it could be somebody, you know, maybe his wife stabbed him. But the the only suspicion is that one of the servants in his household had killed him. All the servants of his household are put to death. So you would have situations where somebody amongst the servants would confess to having killed him, even if they didn't kill him, to save all the other people of the household. Because somebody has to die. This is the mindset that had come. Now, it wasn't always that way in Rome. But it had come that way. What changed to bring such a mindset on? What changed to bring such a mindset on of riding in Atlanta because of a one bad cop in Minneapolis? Why are they smashing the, the windows to CNN? They're certainly all out there not social distancing. <laughs> They're not wearing masks except to cover their identity. What is going on in society that uh, that has come to such insane violence, self-righteous violence against people who have done nothing? I mean, CNN is a promoter of Black Lives Matter and all these kind of liberal movements that are supposedly good but are actually often doing harm. But anyway, we're going to cover a lot of why that is. We're going to lead you into it step by step so that you understand the mechanisms in society that destroy society and how you have the choice of implementing those mechanisms or not. And that is what Christ came to show you because he was talking about a way that was different than the way that Rome was going. And the Romans had gone to get them to the state where they found it entertainment to kill other people, to set people on fire. The riots in the streets, you know, at the, at the funeral of Caesar, the riots in the street at the burning of Rome, the riots in the street at the persecution of Christians where they set them on fire and used them as human torches. Why were they picking on the Christians? Well, some say it because they were they were blamed for the burning of Rome. Yet we know from the reports from historians of that time that there were, the reason they burnt Rome is that Nero had it in mind to rebuild Rome, and he wanted to get rid of the ghettos, the poor people that had become pervasive in Rome. That, and how did those poor people become so numerous in Rome? Those shanties and shacks that were all on the streets. Literally what you see happening in Los Angeles. Street people living on the streets. 
covering the streets with tents and all. How did that come about in Los Angeles? The same way it came about in Rome. And eventually rulers rose to power like Nero, who just literally sent soldiers in to burn out all these street people, all these shanty towns that had built up around Rome because he was going to rebuild it with a huge amount of money, ended up taking the money and absconding with it and secreting away, which we've told that story later. But he actually, there are eyewitnesses reported, written down, and reported of soldiers throwing people from those shanty towns back into the fire when Rome burned. uh, Forcing them back into the flames. Forcing them to be burned alive in the flames. And they were sent there evidently by Nero, who then said, okay, take your frustration out on the Christians. Like Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison is saying, take your frustration out on the good police officers. Take it, I, I actually talked, well, uh, we talked, uh, to, uh, I only brought, talked to him briefly, but then somebody else carried on the conversation with somebody who lives just blocks away. From where the, and shops regularly at the Target and, uh, I forgot the name of the other food store, Cub Foods. There in Minneapolis, both stores got burned down. Both stores were looted by these demonstrators. And they say, they're the people on the ground, that many of the people that were instigating the violence and yelling and were masked and, and et cetera during this whole thing were actually not from Minneapolis. They were actually from Chicago sent there to foment a riot. And I had a conversation with, uh, a brief conversation with somebody from Austria uh, that we will get into where he's talking about how, you know, we're, we're killing all these black people in America. Not so. America was not built on slavery. Slavery was a small part of what was going on in America when uh, Alexei Tocqueville was talking about what was making America great. He warned about slavery, how it was degenerating part of America, and how it was a dangerous element in America. And a lot of Americans talked about and wrote about the same thing. And hundreds of thousands died ending slavery in America. But now we have slavery again, and we don't even know it, because we have those blinders on because of what Polybius said 100 years before Christ, 150 years before Christ, and 100 years before the first emperor, that we had become accustomed to living at the expense of others. And this would degenerate us into perfect savages. And we have articles up where you can go read that. But we're going to get into looking and breaking this down, and breaking it down by looking into the mind of an individual who has already been blinded and we'll see if we've been blinded too but we'll do that when we come back to keys of the kingdom after a brief break so be right back well welcome back to keys of the kingdom so how are we going to get into this and what are we going to actually take a look at and like i said i had a conversation with somebody from um, austria which is a socialist country One of the early socialist countries, not the earliest, actually, you know, one of the earliest countries to start taking on this idea of socialism was, believe it or not, Australia. 
They did it province by province. It wasn't extensive, but we've done programs before of 60 years of of socialism in Australia. And uh, uh, it's fascinating to see the changes that took place in the people during that period of time. Now, there's always going to be a backlash, but the, it's important that that backlash be according to the ways of Christ. And, and Christ came upon uh, Judea at the time where they had been going towards the socialist state. They had changed the Corbin of Israel from free will offerings, which you clearly see mentioned over and over again by the prophets and by the Old Testament, that this is what it meant by love thy neighbor as thyself, which is something that Moses said to begin with. Most people who want to go back to the Mosaic Law and the statutes of Moses don't understand them. They actually are doing the same error that the Pharisees did, where they start turning everything into a literal translation and and they lose the they unmoor the metaphor from its meaning. And they alter the way in which they see the Holy Scriptures. And we we go into that quite a bit. I've actually started going through the minor prophets now. And I'm going to present that as a study eventually as I get to that. But I don't know when we'll get to this. But I also am putting together a whole page on exactly what has been revealed through this abuse of the international worldwide shutdown of many countries. All countries didn't shut down, but many countries did. And how rapidly it seemed to alter the mindset of the people. Well, the reality is we have been altering the mindset of the people for almost a 100 years now. The same as we, Polybius saw it coming 150 years before Christ, 100 years before the first emperor. And he, being an outsider, this man from Greece, but had become a historian in Rome and survived the destruction of his own people because he is already brought to Rome to be this historian of the Romans. And he predicted what was going to happen to Rome, to the world in general, when they became accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others in order to obtain benefits, that this degenerates the actual mind of the person and the body of the person and society itself until it becomes a society of perfect savages. And then... Real tyranny can come into place. You have to realize that there's a large number of people that are pushing towards this new world order. And you can always hear the quotes. I mean, go back to the Bushes were saying it and, and this new world order. But now we actually have people saying that this is why we have the shutdown. And this is why we're imposing these curfews. Because we want this new world order. That new world order... The people who are pushing that also want to see a reduction in the population from the 7 billion people that are are here to like less than a billion people. That means 6 billion of you have to die. Actually, the numbers have actually even projected it even more. And, And they think that's good. And they're preparing for that destruction. Now, not everybody who wants a new world order is thinking that. But that... Those thoughts are out there, and they're out there amongst very powerful people 
who are advocating that. And they would be able to eventually do that if it was not for God. But God is not going to hear your cries. Bible tells you that. Because you don't really believe in what the Bible has been saying. Because Christ said what Moses said. Christ and Moses were in agreement. Pharisees are not in agreement with Christ because they were not in agreement with Moses. Yet they thought they were in agreement with Moses. In the course of this conversation that I'm going to go through with you, you're going to see that a lot of people think that Christians are in agreement with Jesus Christ. People who claim to be Christians are in agreement with Christ when they actually are not in agreement, but are in opposition to what Christ was saying. And this is very easily shown, but it's not so easily seen because you have to realize that what you have come to believe is true just ain't so. Well, I don't want to start out with attacking your delusion, but I want to start helping you see the truth. This, this, that certainly these rioters who are out there looting and robbing and breaking and burning their own neighborhoods and, and communities uh, to the ground would be a clear sign of this perfect savagery that Polybius talks about 150 years before Christ. Before, 50, 100 years before the first emperor seized control of the Republic of, the Rome, of Rome the, and, and began to lead Rome away from that which made them great into a social democracy with its free bread and circuses that what most historians will tell you brought about the downfall of the Roman civilization and therefore of the entire uh, Mediterranean area. And what took its place? Well, to some degree, Christianity took its place. During the Roman Empire days, before it completely collapsed, only about 5% of the Roman Empire were Christians. Now, there were probably a large number of people, but still not a large percentage of people, that were somewhere between Christianity and the direction of Rome. They were kind of vacillating between the two. They saw the Christians aren't really so bad. Trajan, Hadrian, these emperors said, leave the Christians alone. They're doing their own thing. They're not a problem. They're not a threat. But Marcus Aurelius actually persecuted the Christians heavily. Why did he do that? Because if you actually read... Marcus Aurelius' meditations, which I have here on the shelf, they sound like a Presbyterian minister. It, 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 his sermons of Marcus Aurelius sounds like the modern Protestant ministers. Very noble sounding, very, uh, you know, encouraging words and everything. But something is missing and something is added. You don't see it right away. And you don't see it right away because you are listening to the same type of rhetoric in your churches. But yet, Marcus Aurelius had one of the worst human rights records of the all the emperors in the persecution of Christians. Why could? Why does he sound like a Protestant minister? But he was persecuting Christians because. Christians today, the modern Christian today, is not doing what Christ said. They're not doing what the early church did. And we have articles up to show you what the early church did, what the modern church does. 
And the fact is, people don't want to see it. They often do not see it. And we're going to start to show you it, but we're going to do it step by step. So you can actually see the roots of the tree that has grown grown up in your midst, that is destroying your society. Then you personally can make a choice as to actually follow what Christ said to do or follow what the modern churches are telling you to do, which is actually the works of iniquity. Because now Christ said many, many, didn't say a few, many would come in my name, but I know them not. And they, I will actually say, get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. He's talking about people who think they are Christians. Who think they're doing great things in the name of Christ. Jesus warned you about them. Paul warned you. Peter warned you as well. But most people don't want to see that. So what are the early signs of this degeneration? Of both the individual and society. Because as the individual goes, so goes society. Because society is created by the preponderance of the individuals. Riots are not, uh, they're not caused by a few provocateurs who come from Chicago and go around and say, let's throw rocks through the windows. Let's loot this store. Let's set it on fire. That, the provocateurs might be a match, but the crowds are already a tender box of unrighteousness. Why? Because they have not been practicing righteousness. They are not Christians. They are something else. They are actually workers of iniquity. And they have already been changed. And they don't even know it. So here I'm going to come along and tell you that they've been changed. Now, I've had several conversations with different people. And like I say, I have these conversations at different groups on Facebook. I had it with uh, Eric Weinstein's portal. And uh, people brought up different things. And one thing that came up was the book, Lucifer's Principles, which was published back in 1995. It's written by Howard Bloom, who argues that social groups, not individuals, are the primary unit of selection on genes and human psychological development. He states that both competition between groups and competition between individuals shape the evolution of the genome. But he's saying the primary is the group. That's the primary unit of selection. The group has tremendous influence over the individual. And to some degree, from a certain perspective, he's right. Because the individual is not an individual. The individual is a person. He's a member. He is dependent upon his membership in society. That's where his beliefs come from. That's where his perspective come from. Because he is very addicted to society. I had several sons and even daughters that were very people-oriented. And what people thought was very important to them. Now, I was a father. Actually, one of my children was just talking about this the other day. We've had a number of them coming through uh, visiting. And they pointed out that I'm not a big one for the, the gold star mentality of, you know, giving them the sticker points that, oh, you've, you've, you know, where you give them praise. Because if you make your children or your neighbor or your students happy because you gave them praise, then their happiness becomes connected mysteriously, psychologically, to your opinion. 
If your opinion changes, their happiness goes away. You are setting them up for bondage when you approach teaching and uh, lifestyle examples by making people feel good because you praise them. And I have always tried to teach my kids that you want to do good because it's good. You want to be seeking righteousness. This is what we're told. Seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, not the approval of our neighbor. So you have to be willing to suffer the disapproval of your neighbor, of your community, to do what you believe is right. That's a dangerous, difficult place to be. But that is that is moral character of an individual. If you're not, if you do not have that moral character, you're no longer an individual. You become a person, a member, and and the Lucifer principle will take place. It will be the group unit that decides what you're going to think. You will compromise what you know is right in your own heart to fit in with the group, to be accepted, because your happiness depends upon their approval. That is not a safe place to be. That is very common, especially amongst children. Children are looking for the approval of their parents. And when you're a small child, that's okay. But eventually you have to put away the things of a child. And you have to do things because they're right. Because they're righteous. Not because they meet and grant you the approval of society. So, anyway, that book came up. You know, and Bloom explores this intricate relationship amongst genetics, human behavior, and culture. So there's actually, culture matters. And we have articles up on culture. I'm preparing you. And we're going to try to transfer a lot of these over to hisholychurch.org in PDF format, focusing more on the the relations of these concepts to the, the gospel itself. But we've been working in both places and... Uh, for a long time, and now I've gone back and started reprogramming things at hisholychurch.org. At the same time, I am still working on the book, Blood on the Altar. But uh, we're doing these radio programs, and in the process, and ministering to individual people, and so in this process, we're beginning to see more and more, and explore those intricate relationships amongst the genetics, which we've talked about because of the coronavirus thing, human behavior, which we always keep going back to, and culture. Because, uh, as uh, Bloom argues, evil is a byproduct of nature's strategies for creation and that it is woven into our most basic biological fabric. And, of course, that's why we do get sick. The symptoms that are the byproduct of evil, not evil itself. What we look at and say, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, that's evil. What Jeffrey Dahmer is doing is why we label Jeffrey Dahmer as evil. Because the deeds of Jeffrey Dahmer are categorized under evil. In case somebody doesn't know, Jeffrey Dahmer was the guy who was eating people. <laughs> so I think that was I have that right. But anyway, it's supposed to be a bad guy, and uh, that evil is there because of the absence of God and the absence of good. Again, evil is always equated with darkness. 
darkness is not a positive force against light. You do not shine darkness into the light. If you shine light into the darkness, the darkness disappears. Evil is evidence of the absence of good. Good is the positive force of the righteousness of God. Good is God dwelling in you. If you see somebody acting evil, it's because God is not in them. Problem is, your modern Christian is doing evil things. They're workers of iniquity and they don't even know it. Because they have blind guides who are not telling them the whole truth. So here we come along trying to tell you the whole truth. And what happened to Christ when they tried to tell the whole truth? They killed him. <laughs> they attacked him. So that kind of goes with the job description. So, you know, I'm just the messenger. But I'm trying to share with you the message of Christ. And before we're done, we'll show you how people are so blind. They think they are Christians and they are so blind to the simple simplicity of the message of Christ. So anyway, uh, Boom talks about these uh, social groups form uh, what he calls superorganisms. And once you're a member of that superorganism, it can have influence over your thinking. And, of course, that's what Polybius was saying, is that the people on an individual basis became accustomed to obtaining benefits at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others until they were altered. And that alteration came about because as a community, as a culture, they changed. They individually chose to change. Their parents changed and changed them. But this is one of the mysteries of the universe is that children are born in this change and they don't fit in and they want to go back. And this is where many of you might be willing to listen is because something in you knows that what you're told is true just ain't so. Unfortunately, a lot of people will rebel against what they're told and they will rebel against society. They will take out their frustration on the wrong place in the wrong way and bring about a fiery end to their own community. That's not the answer. The answer is Christ. Christ was the ultimate revolutionist, but he was not burning down his community. He was not telling you to take your frustrations out. He was saying, think differently, repent, and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness become the super organism of christ if you do that the miracles will come but anyway these super organisms may also refer to a community of synergenetically super organism interacting organism of different species is which is called the the hollow biome which is where you have a number of different species living together in a symbiotic relationship. Now we see that in nature. And the reason I point out things in nature. Is everything in nature repeats itself. Even in the human genome. Although it shouldn't. We are supposed to be. You know because in this. Uh, Lucifer principle. He's saying that we're actually shaping our genome. We're ab- ab- actually shaping the genetics of our society. And we should. We have this natural creative power to do that. But if we're following the wrong spirit, we will be remade in another image. This is what he's in Polybius and everybody else was talking about is that you're, you will degenerate to something less than what you should be. 
And what Christ came to do is show you how to regenerate into what you are supposed to be. But the modern church is not preaching what Christ actually said to do. The culture of Christ. They are not preaching the culture of Christ. They are actually preaching the culture of Cain and Nimrod and Pharaoh and Caesar and those and even Saul. Because Saul did something that was called foolish by Samuel. That Samuel said your kingdom would not stand because you did this thing. What he told them, what he did and what Samuel was talking about, all modern Christians do regularly. And so therefore this giant Babylonic structure that they've created, I called it Babylonic, so that now i kind of given it away, will crumble. It will eventually fail. That is that is simply the reality because history repeats itself. You've gone down the wrong road and now you have to repent and go back. So anyway, these superorganisms in nature usually have a cooperative brood care, public school, uh, child care, health care. You go to all these socialist nations in Europe and they have child care readily available. That's one of the reasons Sweden didn't shut down the schools is that schools are part of that child care and people would have to stay home from work to take care of their kids because they shut down the schools. So they kept the schools open. Uh, they didn't shut down their country like everybody else did and they have not been wiped off the face of the earth by the coronavirus plague because it isn't really a plague. It isn't really even hardly an epidemic any more than the common flu is an epidemic and it does not have the lethal death rate that everybody was supposedly being told by a few models that were financed by people who want to see a reduction in the human population and gain control and power. But anyway, that's another whole conspiracy theory, but it's very easily shown and proven because it's just a matter of record. But all the models that said it wasn't going to be that severe were shunned by the media. So anyway, you have a cooperative brood care in the world today in the socialist nations. Also, it has overlapping generations within the colony of adults, so you have young and old. Well, we certainly have that amongst the human genome. But it has to have all three of these things, and a division of labor into reproductive and non-reproductive groups. So what's happened, like I've said many times, in Oregon is that more than half of the people in Oregon get a government check, but most of those are not a part of the reproductive groups. They're the non-reproductive groups. They're not actually producing anything. They're going around uh, multiple of offices to eat out your substance like the hairdresser in Eugenia Roseburg, anyway, wherever she was, uh, that had all these government agencies sicked on her because she was going to open up anyway, which was absolutely reasonable that she opened up, but... She has already made the state her mother and her father, and so the state has the power to do these kinds of things. Is it just? Is it right? Is it fair? Well, let's put it this way. It's fair, but it's not just and right. It's fair because the people have already asked the government to exercise authority over their neighbor so that they can have free education and benefits and welfare and unemployment and all these benefits at the expense of their neighbor. So they've already given this power to the government. So now the government gets to exercise that power over them. It's not necessarily just, but it's fair. And of course, this is what Samuel told 
everybody in First Samuel 8 is that if you decide to have men who can exercise authority one over the other to provide you with the security that you want in all realms of your life, or even originally Saul was elected just as kind of a commander-in-chief of the army, but eventually he became the social welfare of the people. But if you give them power, this is what he's going to do. He's going to end up taking and taking and taking and taking and doing more and more taking and taking and taking. And he's going to eventually take your sons and daughters. You're going to eventually cry out and I'm not going to hear you. So Jesus came to tell you how you can get to a place where God can hear you. Well, you have to turn around. But Jesus' message was not new. It's in the Old Testament if you know where to look. And we're going to look a little bit at Proverbs 6, 6 and go through that because in Proverbs 6, 6 it says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Well, wait a minute. The ant is one of those superorganisms. They have division of labor. They have a cooperative uh, brood care. Bees are the same way. And they have overlapping generations and, and, like I say, that division of labor. So are we supposed to become like some sort of super colony of ants? Well, no, that's not really what that Proverbs is all about. We're going to take a look at Proverbs 6.6 and find out what they're really saying in view of the kingdom because they knew what they were talking about in Proverbs. But we'll do that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after this brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. So, that was an extra instruction there. Not only consider the ways of the ants, but to be wise. What does that mean, to be wise? Because right now, people are walking around following blind guides, and they are not seeing something that would make them wise. Now, Proverbs, as a whole book, mentions wisdom probably more than any other book in the Bible. It's about being wise and following the ways of wisdom. Now, wisdom is our modern translation of of these Hebrew words, and it means a lot more than what our modern English word wisdom means. But it has to do with being inspired by God because remember, the natural law Right reason, divine law, are all synonymous terms. So following that, we're not to become like ants. We are considering the ants, but we are to be wise. But the Proverbs actually starts out, that's verse 6. So if you go back to verse 1, it says, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, And the word friend there is most often translated neighbor, far more often translated neighbor, and has a much broader. Now, a lot of these words are are root words, and they add a few letters here and there. We could get into that and explain why they add a letter in this spot and not add that letter in another spot, because it actually alters the meaning of the word a little bit in each verse. So when you see a particular word that is translated uh, friend, uh, sometimes, but is often translated something other than friend. <laughs> Many other times, uh, such as neighbor. See, it, I mean, if you look at the word itself, it's it's basically a two-letter word, a and resh, 
and it's translated friend like a, uh, no a neighbor about a hundred times and friend friend about forty times, uh, but it's also translated another twenty three times or fellow ten times or companion five times or brother, or husband, or lover, etc. So it's translated a lot of different ways. Uh, they, they tell you that the meaning is friend, companion, fellow, another person, somebody else in your community is what they're talking about. Somebody that you would have contact with. And they're saying that 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 individual if you've become a surety for these other people in your community he says if thou and he goes on a secondary condition if thou hast stricken hands with a stranger and and of course there's another word stranger how many different ways is that word translated stranger about 45 times uh someone who is estranged a number of times uh, strange woman is translated strange woman. Somebody who's gone away, somebody who's from another place. And it can mean a stranger. You remember friends and strangers that uh, the the people came over on the Mayflower. Everybody who was a part of their group was a friend. Everybody who was not a part of their group, even though they knew them, they called them strangers. So he's saying, if you have stricken hands... And become the surety for debt with your neighbor or with strangers, people you don't even know. He goes on in the second verse to say, Thou art stared with the words of thy mouth. Because you've stricken hands. You've made an agreement. That's what it means by stricken hands. Thou art taken, he says. With the words of thy mouth. What did Jesus say about the words of you? He says, it doesn't, you know, why are you worried about what you eat as if that defiles you? Doesn't that all come out in the drought? He says it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Again, these are metaphors. You make agreements. Well, what does it say in the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt make no covenants with them nor with their gods, their ruling judges. So he says, my son, if you have become a surety for your friend and for the strangers because you've stricken hands with these strangers and you are now snared, you are in bondage, you've made an agreement and you have to make your yeses yes. And then so what is his advice to you? Rebel? Burn down target? Is that what you're supposed to be doing? (laughs) He says, do this now, my son, and deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. Jesus says the same things about the unrighteous mammon. Be friends with the unrighteous mammon. Because, why? Because you've already stricken your hands with the unrighteous mammon. You've already agreed that it's okay to hire men to go to your neighbor's house and force them to contribute to what you want. That will make you what will make you feel safe and secure. You've already done that. So you have been snared. You've already become snared. We have an article up. I think if you look up the word snare. <laughs> I'm preparing you. You will find the article. Because there's a lot of places where they talk about becoming snared. 
and you've become snared because you've made an agreement. You've stricken hands with somebody who is going to exercise a force over your neighbor. They get to now exercise force over you. They can tell you you cannot open up your business because you've stricken hands with them. Now, I'm not telling you whether disobey or obey those rules because sometimes those rules can be dishonest and unright. Now, the the rule in Oregon, and this is unique in Oregon, it may be existing in other places too, but the person who is issuing the executive orders in Oregon, and we show this, is not the real governor. You know, I posted a few things on Facebook because I have inside people to the government and sees what's going on. And, and you know, they recently got a letter from the governor making commands to the local counties. All the county officials got it. Well, one of those county officials published the letter. They took out, you know, private information like emails of certain people uh, that were also included at the bottom of the letter. They blanked that out, cut that off. But they published the letter from the governor. They got flack. People said, why are you publishing a letter from the governor? It's the governor who's shutting down all the businesses. The person who claims to be governor shutting down all the businesses. By their executive order, the people have a right to know why they're doing it. He's telling them what's going on in their government. He's also let it be known through other people like me who pointed out that the person posing as government governor making these executive orders is not rightfully the governor of Oregon. Very clearly. It's not it's not a debatable issue. It's a fact. She is forfeited the office of governor. She's already done that. But she's just pretending to be governor and everybody's going along with it for reasons we've already explained in past programs. Go to Article two, section twenty two at Preparing You and you can hear those programs and read the article and see for yourself. So that's a unique situation in Oregon. So technically, that hairdresser who runs that shop does not have to shut down by the order of the executive order. And the swarms of officers who are coming to fine her do not have to, she does not have to pay the fine because they have no authority to do what they're doing because they are depending upon the executive order for their authority. And... There is no executive, lawful executive order because the governor has no right to make one because she's not the governor because she's already forfeited her office. Unique in Oregon. Maybe not the case in Michigan. Maybe not the case in Minneapolis. So this is a great opportunity for Oregonians to actually step up and do what is righteous. Because if she's not the governor, you don't have to obey the executive order. She is, it's like, you know, Joe Schmo saying, you know, you have to stand on your head. Uh, he doesn't have any right to tell you to stand on your head. You don't have to do it. But wait, Joe Schmo wrote an executive order. They don't have the authority to write the executive order. They've, they don't have the office to do that. So it nullifies the agreement. But if you acquiesce to that, then you're in trouble. Because And I'm just giving you information so that you can be wise. Because that's what they're telling you to do eventually is to be wise. But you also should not be afraid. Fear not. So, it goes on to say in verse 3, 
Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend. Go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. Be friends with the unrighteous mammon. Give not sleep to thine eyes. Don't put blinders on. See the truth. Don't acquiesce. Nor slumber to thine eyelids. Open your eyes and see the truth. Be awake in righteousness. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter. A roe is a deer. So the hunter is now hunting you. So here, here's this hairdresser in wherever, Eugene. There's probably businesses all over that are being attacked. You can deliver yourself from the hunter, but you have to open your eyes and see the whole truth. He goes on to say also another metaphor, as a bird from the hand of the fowler, the person who goes out and catches birds. Then he also gives you another metaphor. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Sluggard, what is that? A lazy, slothful individual. And consider her way, the ant, not the slothful individual. <laughs> and be wise. So now, where how do you get to be wise? Now again, I said Proverbs talks about wisdom, and it talks about women more than any other book in the Bible, because the woman is a metaphor, and we'll see that as we progress through this. Verse seven, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler—that's the ant—has no guide, no overseer, nor ruler. Provideth her meat in the summer and gather her food in the harvest. So, there is a queen, but she's not issuing commands. They're just already doing what they need to do to survive as this superorganism. And you should do that, but you should do it because you're wise. Which means you don't follow your queen, you follow your king. <laughs> Now, the king has a bride, and that's a, well, that's another metaphor. We can get into that, too, and we probably will eventually. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm taking you through Proverbs so that you begin to understand how this all works and, and what is really going on when in the, this old Proverbs, because this, this message goes for the time of Christ, and I even correlate some of the things that Christ said so you can see it as well. You know, when he says this word sluggard, that word uh, is translated sluggard six times in the Bible. But it shows up 14 times. And it's, it's composed of, of several letters, and we won't go into that right now. But basically, it means sluggish, lazy, and it is translated slothful eight times. It's not the only word for sloth and slothful, but it is translated slothful eight times, and sluggard six times. So you, what happens to the slothful? What does the Bible tell you, even in Proverbs? What does the Bible say happens to the slothful? They end up under tribute. That's right. They end up having, they're forced to pay. When you were in bondage in Egypt, you were under tribute. When you were in bondage in other countries, uh, as Israelites in the Old Testament, you were, and you had to pay into those governments, you were under tribute. And that's that's just, how does that come about? It comes about because you're slothful in the ways of righteousness. So, anyway, 
that Anne provided his her meat in the summer and gather it for the winter. Does it without a ruler. Does it without an overseer. Does it without, you know, a chief executive officer. And of course, that is the way the kingdom works because the king in the kingdom is God operating through the hearts of every individual. But that isn't what we're doing today. We're not operating according to the ways of God. We're operating according to the ways of Cain and Nimrod and Pharaoh and Caesar and and uh, even false rulers like Kate Brown. <laughs> the legitimate ruler. But, you know, evidently Trump is the legitimate president of the United States, but uh, in most states, your governors probably are legitimate governors. They're not necessarily fair. They're not necessarily just as we see in Michigan and the difference between the Michigan governor and the South Dakota governor. Both women, both have a different strategy. Both legally, I assume, legally the governors of those states. And that one of them is heavy shut down and one is not shut down at all. The one that's not shut down at all, death rate is really low. And many of the states like New York that are heavily shut down, their death rate is skyrocketing. It's probably not a true death rate. Uh, although they probably did have an increased death rate because of the fact that one of the things the governor did was send sick people to the old folks' homes to be kept in the old folks' homes rather than all those hospitals that they set up that were sitting empty. But he sent them to the old folks' homes, and that, of course, killed all kinds of the old folks. It was it was crazy. It, to me, that was criminal. He should be arrested for murder. Because, I mean, that's like sending smallpox blanket into the Native Americans, it, which never really happened. <laughs> but but uh, the stories are pervasive. It was actually something else that caused that. And we've gone into that in previous recordings. You can go back and listen to Keys of the Kingdom all over. Somebody was just asking me, how do they listen to it? Because they clicked on some of the links in our newsletter. You want to get the newsletter, join one of our Google groups, and uh, that's how you get it. You join one of the Google groups based on geographical location. If you're in Washington, there will be a group for that. You go to Preparing You, go to His Holy Church, and they will show you how to join those groups. We, The real communication is when you actually start doing what Christ says. But for now, if you want the newsletters, that's the way to do it. But anyway, so we see this advice in Proverbs to consider the ant and... And and do something different than what you've been doing that got you to become a surety for the debt of your friends and your neighbors and the even the strangers in your midst. And you you did this if you turn around and go this other way, they have these words like guide which is actually translated ruler four times, prince four times, captain three times, and guide only once. So why did they translate it guide one time, and all the other times they're translated like ruler and captain and prince, and is that all the same word? So why did they do that? And what is really going on when they do that? Well, at the end of that verse, they talk about, or ruler. So there they have the word ruler there, but that's actually a different word. That is translated ruler, ruler, a bunch of times, but it's a completely, it's mushal. 
uh, is also translated dominion. It's also four times translated governor. <laughs> so why do you have a governor? Well, actually, in Oregon, we don't have a governor, but they have a pretend governor. <laughs> so anyway, but it's also translated ruled over or power or, you know, it has a number, but it has to do with dominion, having dominion over you. Well, that's actually where you're at, is that you have these people that have dominion over So they can't translate both of them ruler, but one means ruler in one sense, that when it says guide there, that's got cn, which is a completely different word, and it is also translated ruler, but it has other meanings, and you don't always see it, but it actually means you're cut off. You're cut off from your right to choose uh, in, a, in a regular fashion. So anyway... Uh, then they have the other word, overseer. Well, we use that word overseer all the time uh, because to, the word bishop, the word we see translated bishop in the New Testament is also translated overseer. Well, the word that is translated in the Hebrew overseer, only in this one place is it translated overseer. It's actually normally 23 times it's translated officer. So what he's, he's really, he's talking about these ants have no officers. They have no rulers. They have no princes that are telling them what to do and what not to do. They're just doing it. Well, in the kingdom, that's what it should be like. Because you're listening to what God is writing upon your heart and upon your mind. Which takes me back to what we said in the first part of the show about the, the gold star syndrome where I got a gold star and that makes me happy. I got a point and that makes me happy. I got approval from my neighbor and that makes me happy. That is the beginning of becoming subject. Now, in itself, for parents to do that is not necessarily bad. Even, you know, a merit-demerit system in businesses, sometimes that kind of tells people where they're at. But it is very important that your happiness does not depend upon the approval of others. And to be aware of that guards you against the gold star syndrome, which I just invented and named. But you can see that process go on. And that's why I shun that, especially with my children that had a tendency to depend upon the approval of others and the applause of others. Because it it will make you vulnerable. It will lead to your subjection. And you don't want that. You want your children to grow up to be free under God. So, anyway, he warns, How long will thou sleep, O sluggard, O slothful person? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. Well, of course, that's what we have in Oregon. Many people have been made aware of the fact that the governor has no right to make these executive orders, that she has no right to the office. She should be arrested. She's a felon. That's what it says in the Constitution. Go read the article if you don't believe me. But they're not doing it because they're saying, oh, but it's more comfortable just to close my eyes and ignore the law that I have agreed to, that they have sworn to uphold. It's more comfortable to just slumber here and remain slothful. And it's a mistake. And that is what acquiescence is. That you don't act upon what you know is right in your own heart. For whatever reason. So, because he warns you in the very next verse. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth. 
and thy want as an armed man. In other words, you're going to end up in, you know, like the woman who wants to open up her shop. She's suffering. All the people that work in her shop are suffering. She wants to open up so they can get back to work and feed their kids. <laughs> but overnight, they were all shut down. Uh, overnight, they've been impoverished. Even when things open back up, there are many, 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 many thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands of businesses that will never open up again. People are already dead from suicide. People are already dead from drug overdose. People could not handle this shutdown. Their poverty came upon them as one that traveleth. And their want as an armed man. Without any soldiers in the street, the entire nation, the entire world was shut down. Although, in many countries, they did put soldiers in the streets. And, of course, now, somebody had a mem the other day where it says, well, the fake virus didn't work, so now we're going to the fake race war. There's no race war. There's been one guy who did something that was unjust. A couple of guys probably stood around and did nothing about it. And... He's been fired and now he's being prosecuted. So now we got the attorney general saying, go out and take your frustration out on all the good cops who save lives on a regular basis, protect people on a regular basis. You're going to have more good cops leave the police force with that kind of attitude. You've already seen it in places like Portland. They didn't get the support. Now, really... In the kingdom of God, we have the hue and cry, and we have far less need for police. You go back to England a 100 years ago, and they had bobbies on the street. He wasn't armed. He didn't have any guns. English people had guns. They had arms. They had blackjacks. They had clubs. And when there was, they would blow their whistle. It wasn't just the other cop who came. It's everybody in the houses would come out and say, what do you need? And he says, this guy down here, catch that guy. He just robbed somebody. And they would all chase them and they would all catch them. Because they were communities. They had this mutual... It wasn't just singularly his responsibility to catch the bad guys. The whole community was responsible for the whole community. But when you become a surety for debt because you you give somebody else the right to make those decisions, you undermine and weaken your com- community. So shall thy poverty... Come as one that traveleth. He goes on in verse 12. A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a forward mouth. Whoa. Forward mouth. What's a forward mouth? Because <laughs> you don't want to be one of those wicked men that walketh with a forward mouth. And uh, it means distorted. It means a distortion. That's... Uh, a crooked mouth. They're dishonest. You know, like how can you tell a politician is lying? His lips are moving. <laughs> of course, that's a joke. All politicians are not liars. But, because I don't want to be like David in my haste say that all men are liars. But anyway, but a naughty person, a wicked, walketh with this dishonest mouth. Kate Brown knows she's in violation of Article 2, Section 22. And she's still up there signing executive orders and she's saying it to save lives. And it's actually a political ploy to gain power and money for her buddies and wealth and control. Because they're in love with this. That's because you elected people that are in love with power. And that's that's what you have. He winketh with his eye. He speaketh with his feet. 
In other words, she's telling you what she's doing by what she's doing. She, she is, she's just playing governor. And she knows it. And she's getting away with it. Because the people are sluggards and slothful and they say, oh, let's, let's just, oh no, let's not make waves. Let's not do anything bad. Let's not do anything hasty. Let's not do anything righteous. But we're Christians. But they are not. Because Christians are commanded to seek what is righteous. To tend to the weightier matters. That's the Pharisees were condemned because they didn't. So, where are we going to go with all this? We'll be right back. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, uh, we're in verse 12 of uh, Proverbs 6. The book of wisdom. The book of the woman who is equated with wisdom. and But there's also the iniquity, the iniquitous woman, the evil woman. And so, again, why woman? Well, there's a reason for that, and it's in the metaphor, and we can talk about that at another time. But in verse 12, it talks about this naughty, well, in verse, yeah, in verse 12, a naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a forward mouth. He winketh, same guy, wicked man, he winketh, with his eyes. He speaketh with his feet. What he does tells you what he really is saying. He, but he's deceptive with this wink. You know, wink, wink. <laughs> that, you know, I'm the governor. You have to do what I say. Uh, I'm the ruler. And in some places, that's true. You do. Because you've made those agreements. You're stricken hands. And you have to be friends with the unrighteous mammon. But there's something else you should be doing that is different than that. And it comes with repentance, true repentance, which is thinking this other way. But this naughty person winketh, but shows you what they're doing with their actions. He teacheth with his finger, you know, pointing. Bad person, you are opening up your business. Well, actually, my my daughter and granddaughter were up in Portland the other day and they were shopping and, of course, many of the stores there are just as paranoid and as part of this mass hysteria or are told that they have to wear masks if they want to come into certain stores. So they got masks to go into the store just so they can go in and get some things. And they also wore gloves because some people want you to wear gloves. They're not that paranoid. They're They're just complying in order to get access to the store. Now, eventually, you may not be able to get the store until you have the vaccination. And there's very clear evidence that some people want that to become law. You can't go into the store until you have a certificate of immunity and you can't get that until you have the vaccination. And the vaccination is a new kind of vaccination that has never, ever, ever, ever been approved for human use. It's totally synthetic and manufactured in a lab and they want you to put it in your bodies. The first trials of that 20% of the people were so sick from the vaccination, they could not go to work. (laughs) And they called it a successful trial. And this was all the people in the trial were young, healthy, strong people. You have no idea what long-term effects this new kind of synthetic RNA vaccination may have. But that's the forerunner of what they want to compel everybody to get. But most people will line up and get it. They have no idea what's going on because they have blind guides. And they think they know, but they don't. So anyway, this naughty person who wink winks, 
and points with her finger. Well, anyway, they went into the store and they were accosted by a nurse who said that they should be ashamed for wearing those gloves because they're robbing medical supplies that are needed by the health industry. And my daughter says, well, I'm pretty sure, he says, we got these gloves at Harbor Freight, so I'm pretty sure that's not where the medical industry gets the rubber gloves. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, but they were wait, they were pointing their finger, trying to shame them. You see this with a lot of people going about. That is the finger of tyranny. And that's how tyranny works. Tyranny doesn't work because there's a single tyrant in office. It works because it appeals to the tyrant in the hearts of all the people. They wouldn't even have been wearing masks and gloves if it wasn't for the tyranny and the storekeepers. And then they're accosted by people that are, I don't know if they were actually in the store yet or if it was outside the store, who are yelling at them because they're supposedly robbing the medical supplies, but they actually got it from Harbor Freight. <laughs> so anyway. But anyway, it goes on, the forwardness is in their hearts, which is what I just said, deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. That's what's going on. He soweth discord. This mischief is iniquity. It's also translated iniquity and wickedness. These are workers of iniquity. And Christ says, get ye from me, you workers of iniquity. The people promoting this panic and pandemonium and this shutdown and this tyranny are a part of the problem. Because they refuse to open their eyes. They continue to slumber. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. Now this whole shutdown came pretty suddenly. But there are other calamities yet to come. And people are not ready for those calamities. Real calamities. Not fake, hysterical calamities created by the news media. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly, it says. These six things doth the Lord hate. Now, wow, that's strong language. When it says, these six things does the Lord hate. And we're in verse 16. Yes, seven are an abomination unto him. Well, if you go into the New Testament, it says that God hates the deed of the Nicolaitans. And that same word, mischievous and wickedness, that you see up there in the previous verses, are also translated idol and has to do with idolatry. And... What is idolatry? Idolatry is that you look to other gods to give you protection. Protection from what? Protection from the coronavirus. Protection from uh, poverty. Protection from uh, not being educated. Protection from the police. You're looking to all of them. That's not my job to save that girl that's being kidnapped in broad, light, broad daylight right in my same apartment building. It's my job to stay here behind the safety of my window on the second floor and not say anything until the hero shows up. And then I will yell at the hero because <laughs> I will pretend to be brave because there is no hewing cry in the land. So anyway, those of you who listen to the first part of the program see that I'm correlating that back there. So what is this going on, these six things? 
What are these six things that he hates that we also must be in the Nicolaitans? Because God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And so what are the deeds that he's talking about? A proud look. That's one. Vanity. You need to be humble enough to admit that you weren't courageous, that you were seduced into this hysteria, that you were slothful, that you were greedy for gain, that you wanted benefits at the expense of your neighbor, and you were willing to covet your neighbor's goods in order to get them. You need to have a humble heart enough to admit that. What's the next thing? A lying tongue. You need to be willing to tell the truth. Yeah, Kay Brown is not the legal governor of Oregon because she did not comply with the Article 2, Section 22. But I also have to admit that the congressman I like so much didn't comply either, even though she stole $5 million. <laughs> That's her records, at least $5 million over the amount that she could take. He only took 100000 or 20000 but it's still, you have to tell the truth. You have to keep your word. So those are two things. Pride, not willing to admit that you're wrong. Two, not willing to tell the whole truth. Willing to compromise the truth for your personal convenience. That's what a lie is all about. And hands that shed innocent blood. What's hands that shed innocent blood? Rioters who are supposed to take out their animosity, their frustration on good policemen for something bad policemen did. Uh, innocent blood is to burn down the house of the parents of Jeffrey Dahmer because of what Jeffrey Dahmer did. Innocent blood would also include abortions because those children are innocent. They haven't done anything wrong. Uh, but you're willing to spill that. And we see that's pervasive in this society. It's all over. These are the zombies. Now, some people just haven't really thought it through yet. I, I, I was always impressed that somebody went and showed people what is going on in the womb at three weeks and, and four weeks and six weeks and, and they showed them this and suddenly they had been pro-abortion before. And now they're thinking, no, I'm not so pro-abortion. Maybe that we shouldn't do that. And maybe that's wrong. They haven't thought it through. They haven't heard the information. But they had to be humble enough to receive that information in order to change that. But innocent blood is not exclusive to unborn. The fact that you, because you did not take action against Kate Brown who's a felon and has forfeited the office, and you let her sign these executive orders. You did not come together with a hue and cry to protect society from her abuses that she had no right to do. Her usurpations, which is the word that you see in the Declaration of Independence, because you did not do anything, you said, just fold your hands in slumber. All the abuse that is wreaked upon that lady with her uh, hairdresser in salon and all the other people that have been shut down, all the other people who have lost their businesses, lost their life savings, and suffered immensely under this, you're responsible for their loss 
is because you did not do the right thing. You did not do the hue and cry. That blood is on your hands. You you have shed that blood by your inaction, by your sloth, by your slumber, by your sluggardly actions. And you need to repent. You need to seek the righteousness of God and change your ways. And he goes on, and the heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Are your feet swift in the running to mischief? So the heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. What is that, a, a wicked imagination? Just thoughts. It's translated thought 28 times. Imagination only three times. Devices, 12 times. So what are these uh, inventions? Well, to tell you the truth, it's things like Social Security, <laughs> public schools. All these things are based on coveting your neighbor's goods. Now, we had public schools in America back in the 1700s and 1800s. They were all built by private funds. Almost all. There were a few states that did a little bit of public funds, but the vast majority of it was all built by private funds. The teachers were paid for by private funds, but they were called public schools because they were on public lands. It wasn't because they were run by taxes. Like I say, even the school locally here, it was all built by public funds, at least one of them, uh, to the north of us, about, I don't know, 40 minutes away. But it was built on donated land. People still had the sense of donating to build it, to make it happen. Because it's absolutely, and this is what we're going to eventually get in, to show you the actual, how it works, the genetics of doing it by force rather than doing it by charity. How that will alter your spiritual and even your physical DNA. How How, how is that possible? Well, that's what we're going to eventually be exploring. But the heart that devises these wicked devices uh, these these systems based on coveting your neighbor's goods by forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. You remember the Corban of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. Why? Because the Corban of the Pharisees was one of these wicked imagination, wicked devices. Because their sacrifices were now based on forced offerings. And we've gone over that. We cover that in the books. The Gabbai, the Molokai, the, the tax collectors who go and pace off your fields and count the branches of your Cummins plants. Jesus mentions that. But they're not attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Their Corbin, their wicked imagination scheme was making the word of God to none effect. But they had a heart for that system. And we still see people saying, well, I paid into Social Security. Well, look, if you pay charity, nobody has an obligation to pay you back. That's living by faith, hope, and charity. Because you see that 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 will be the culture of Christ. But if you're not living by faith, hope, and charity, but you want to live by force, fear, and fealty, forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, then you are not living by the culture of Christ. You're living by the culture of Cain and Nimrod and Pharaoh and Caesar. So what's another thing that God hates? Feet that be swift in running to mischief. So here's that word mischief again. So what is that word mischief? 440 times it's translated evil. 59 times wicked or wickedness. 
25 times wicked. Mischief, 21 times. So, I mean, you got 500 times it's translated, I mean, hurt, bad, trouble, affliction, sore. But it means bad and evil. They run to evil. They want to take from their neighbor. And this is why you have such anger. The people who are willing to do that, what happens when you have a crisis or an emotional event, they riot in the streets. They're out there beating up people who had nothing to do with it, destroying businesses that had nothing to do with it, burning them down, hurting everybody in their community because they run towards evil. This is what you, but you have this because of what you've already done. They also will have false witness. They speak with lies. He soweth discord amongst his brethren. Isn't that what it, he says? Don't attack these people. Go after the innocent cops. Take your frustration out on them. That's what the attorney general said. Uh, discord. What is the media doing? It's sowing discord. So it says, uh, goes on to say, My son, keep thy father's commandments. Forsake not the law of thy mother. What's the Father's commandments? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Thou shalt not make covenants with them nor with their gods. But you do. You struck hands. You made the covenants. You made the agreements because you ran towards mischief. That's what has happened. Bind them continually upon thine heart. The commandments. Tie them about thy neck. Don't covet. Don't bear false witness. If you have sworn to the Constitution of Oregon, keep the Constitution of Oregon. If if you have stricken hands with your friends and become a surety for debt, assure them that you will pay the tax. But, in the meantime, often at night, turn around and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So that's one of the things that we have to look at more. The kingdom of God does all these things through charity, through faith, through hope. When thou goest, it shall lead thee when thou sleepest. So even when you sleep, even when you're not aware, you will have this sense, I should not go that way. That is not the right way to go. (laughs) You won't be so easily fooled. I saw it with the coronavirus thing. I thought, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't fit. I hadn't the information, but I knew something was wrong. I went and found the information. We shared it with you on the network. We shared it with you on the programs. We still have it up there at preparing you under coronavirus. Well, we're, we've been putting together a lot more things that are showing you what's going to be the next phase, what's coming next. But it's because we're listening to the Holy Spirit, because we're not going the ways that God hates. We're not going the way of the Nicolaitans. We have an article up on that. Find out what the Nicolaitans are because it's associated with the era of Balaam. So it's Old Testament and New Testament. It's the same story. But you study history to know the future, not to know the past. The past is in the past. You don't need the past. You're not going to change the past. You're not going to alter the past. You don't study the past to know the past. You study the past to know the future. That's why they don't want you to study history anymore. (laughs) Because they don't want you to know what they're up to. 
So you're supposed to be binding these commandments on your heart, but now the modern Christian says, oh, it's okay to covet our neighbor's goods as long as we do it through men who exercise authority one over the other and call themselves benefactors, even though Christ said it was not to be that way with you. But it is that way with 90% or more of modern Christians who have need of repentance. When thou goest, it shall lead thee when thou sleepest. Even when you don't see it, you'll know. Somebody asked me, they ordered the books, of most of the books, and uh, we sent it to them. And they're all free online, but they wanted hard copies. So, uh, they asked me what order they should read it in. And I said, now comes the Holy Spirit. Now you have to ask the Holy Spirit which one you should pick up. I have no idea which one. I can tell you the order I wrote them in. But that isn't necessarily what you need to do. You need to do what the Holy Spirit, not what I tell you. I'm just pointing the way, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You have to find the way, which is through the Holy Spirit, that Christ is. He's your comforter, not me. For the commandment is a lamp. That's what he's saying. The commandments, thou shalt not covet, don't make agreements, don't strike hands and become a surety for death. These commandments are a lamp. And the law is light, and reproofs of instructions are the way of life. For the commandment is the lamp, the light. It shines again. See again, evil is the absence of good. It isn't a positive force against that. To keep thee from the evil woman. Again, here they're mentioning the evil woman. Women are mentioned all the time. This is a metaphor. From the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman who says, you get a gold star. <laughs> you see, flattery can subject your mind to those who flatter. Your happiness now comes from them. This is what I was telling you at the beginning. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. You know, her wink, wink. <laughs> Lust not after her beauty. People in the argument or the discussion with the man from Austria, he he was constantly straying from the topic and saying, but look at all the good things I get from socialism. The the paid vacations, the leave, the health care, the free education. I get, but then he he got away from saying free, although he slips back into it because I said, it's not free. Somebody has to pay for it. He's just content to have his neighbor pay for it. Now, yeah, he pays in taxes, but the fact is it's a system based on force. He says, where's the force? He hasn't even seen it. If it's taxation, it's force. People don't, people pay tithe because it's a free will offering. That's what you see over and over again in the Old Testament. Free will offering, free will offering. The Corbin of the Pharisees at the time of Christ was no longer a free will offering. It was one of these mischievous schemes set up by Herod. And we explain that in the book Thy Kingdom Come and in articles and we show you that other historians have come to the same conclusion because they've looked and studied it. But your pastors aren't telling you. For by means of the whorish woman a man is brought to a piece of bread and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Most of the time adultery in the Bible is about national adultery. And the woman is these seductive systems 
that actually are wicked systems because they're based on force, not charity. Fear, not hope. Entitlements, not uh, the the gifts and blessings of of loving neighbors. And what happens is the people who become used to those entitlements are the ones who will riot. Because they have closed their eyes. Their eyes have been closed by their covetous practices. And they have been made merchandise. And they have cursed their children by means of the whorish woman. Which is a metaphor. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? That's why you see Target and Cub Foods getting burned. Because they have taken fire into them and now they, they erupt with this rioting. It is a foregone, get out, see the metaphor, but a correlate the metaphor with reality. Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? Of course, some people, there actually is a way to do that. But anyway, we're not going to get all the way through this because we're running out of time. So anyway, we're leaving off in verse 28. This afternoon program will probably go into verse 29 and then we'll get into this conversation with Austria. But uh, we're going to correlate more and more all this to this to the minor prophets and this quest for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.